Welcome to Voice Over Work, an audiobook sampler. Where do you listen? Today is Monday, the 29th of January, 2024. In today's featured book, we ask you to step into the cutthroat world of advertising, where a young couple seeks to build the agency of their dreams while standing strong against betrayal, envy, and cutthroat ambition. From author James R. Gregory and publisher Best Selling Publishers, we bring you Three Books in One, Small Fortunes by James R. Gregory. One, Small Fortunes. Prologue. When your prospects for success are bleak, there's no lonelier place on earth than among the crowds in New York City. After years of struggling in his chosen field, Steve Stackhouse had just about given up all hope. But at the most unexpected time in the most unexpected place, Steve was suddenly mesmerized by a woman who would change his luck in business and life if only he dared to speak to her. That is when nature provided a helping hand. Fine Intervention the youngest of five children, Stephen Stackhouse always felt like he was behind in a race where he was striving to catch up with his siblings' success. They were all married, enjoyed nice homes, and drove the latest cars, while he was struggling to pay off college loans and barely making ends meet. However, Steve was determined to be successful despite the long odds against him. It didn't make it easier that he aspired to be a creative director at a prestigious Madison Avenue advertising agency. Still, early on, he realized that he didn't have enough talent or connections to make that goal a reality. After college, Steve found a job doing paste-ups for a firm that contracted out menial projects for blue-chip agencies. He wasn't paid well, but was lucky to have a job considering the difficulty of the economic recession in 1975 and the immense competition for any job relating to the advertising industry. He felt that being close to his chosen field would someday pay if someone discovered his talent and gave him a break to become an art director that would ultimately move him up the corporate ladder. Unfortunately, after four years of doing paste-ups, he began to feel he was even farther from his goal. Several times, he forced his creative ideas on his supervisor, only to be rebuffed and scolded about wasting the client's billable time on nonsense. It was then that he realized that his dreams were not going to happen in the present circumstance. Nevertheless, Steve was always the first to work and the last to leave at night, and he never failed to wear a tie and a sports coat because he never knew when the right opportunity would come along that would advance his career. Today was one of those days when the world seemed against him, and there's no place on earth lonelier than a crowded subway in New York City. The subway's cars screeched steel on steel, piercing every thought, allowing for no relief from the grinding mix of machinery and people. Steve never expected to see his hope for the future was riding in the same subway car across a sea of humanity. The vision, in the form of a beautiful young woman, 
who happened to be on the same conveyance, was heading home after a long day at work. While he didn't believe in love at first sight, he immediately realized that this was what they call thunderstruck, based on his heartbeat alone. Steve was never particularly good at meeting women, since most of the girls he dated had sought out him. When the subway suddenly stopped and the pretty young woman got off the train, he momentarily lost sight of her. Steve spontaneously pushed his way off the subway as well, even though he was several stops from his destination. He was still clueless about what he would say to her when nature suddenly provided the convenient answer. A summer rainstorm had turned into a downpour, and while the young woman didn't have an umbrella, Steve always carried one, just in case. He offered it to the young woman, who readily accepted out of absolute necessity. Nancy Crocker was skeptical by nature. She had reason to be. Who was this guy who offered the umbrella? He didn't look like a rapist or murderer, but in New York you could never be sure. Still, he had saved her from a drenching, and for the moment he was her rescuer. Nancy striking while the iron is hot. Dating for Steve and Nancy was as unpredictable and unstructured as their first meeting. Since Steve loved trying new exotic foods and found the culinary scene to be one of the few splendid things New York had to offer, he arranged several dinner dates with Nancy at his favorite restaurants. Once again, Nancy was very reluctant to try anything new. At one Indian restaurant, Steve felt responsible for telling the waiters that she'd never tasted this food before and that he was trying to introduce her taste buds to the different flavors of the world. In reality, Nancy did like food, potatoes, and meat, in that order. When the couple went to a steakhouse, a beautiful filet mignon was served with the baked potato. Nancy, however, consumed only the potato, and then said she was too stuffed to eat the meat. Steve said, The potato's free. She retorted, Well, next time, just order the potato. Slowly, Steve began to understand her culinary tastes and realized that it wasn't that she didn't like foreign foods. Nancy just hadn't grown up eating them, so it took time to acquire a taste for them. On the other hand, she would devour fresh-baked goods. Chocolate croissants were her Achilles heel, and Steve took full advantage of this pathway to her heart. Steve and Nancy were slowly falling in love, but it was an uncharted kind of love that comes from people who were not prepared to jump into the unknown with abandon. They both knew this relationship was different, and the two principal characters took their roles conscientiously. Even their casual conversations were different, often turning to the prospects of opening a business instead of talking about the latest movie releases or the latest music scene. They would discuss the investments required to open an advertising agency. It was always focused on what they called getting ahead and generating a better livelihood. Nancy's job on Wall Street was repetitive and tedious, but it had a lot of responsibility. Nancy was making more money than Steve and wasn't anxious to walk away from her income stream. However, she was very supportive of Steve's aspirations and kept encouraging him to think about his own business opportunities. 
Steve often asked Nancy about the stock exchange's inner workings, which really had nothing to do with her job or knowledge base. Still, she found his interest and arguments about branded companies having higher market valuations to be thought-provoking. She asked Steve how he would prove such a theory, and he laughed while admitting that he'd not yet solved that part of the equation. Steve's job in advertising was aggravating, demoralizing, and a dead-end solution for building a career in that profession. He knew that he would need at least one client and a physical office location to even open a business. Steve's assets were his creative talent and extraordinary ambition, but his liabilities were his utter lack of money and zero prospects of finding any investment capital. That is when fate once again presented itself. A senior manager from a commuter railroad that served the city was visiting Steve's company to discuss a potential project. Steve recognized the guy because he always would wear a tie that exactly matched his shirt, which was sky blue today. It was clear from the discussion that Steve's boss was having with the gentleman that Steve's firm would not be doing the requested work. Look, Benny, I had... LZ was restless. LZ wanted to go somewhere exotic. Maybe they could holiday in Vienna or southern France. She needed the inspiration, but she knew they couldn't afford the expense. Every time she brought the subject up with Duane, he would morph from taciturn to outright cantankerous. LZ was a free spirit, and her artistic work reflected her autonomy. But the problem with her paintings is that only she loved them. She loved creating the work and the world of art in which her spirit thrived. Unfortunately, LZ couldn't get a gallery to handle her work, and the paintings just kept collecting in the art studio that Duane rented and where she had worked every day for 20 years. The studio was only a short walk from her home, and it had terrific lighting and storage for supplies, and since it was always an artist's studio, any paint falling on the floor was allowed to dry there. LZ had hundreds of finished paintings stacked against the walls. Her painting method was minimalism, and her bold style was very similar from piece to piece. She used contrasting colors, brightly painted on unprimed canvas. To the untrained eye, her current work looked analogous to her older pieces, which could be seen and compared by looking at the back of the stack of paintings leaning against the wall. The paintings were all large VVV geometric shapes that she called chevrons, and while one side of the V was one color, the other side was a complementary color. Size didn't vary by much either. They were all large, about 40 by 60 inches, which meant that any patron of the arts who wanted to buy her work needed a big friggin' wall for what Duane considered an ugly friggin' painting. It didn't surprise Duane that she couldn't sell anything, and, frankly, even LZ had given up trying to market her work. Still, she painted every day and felt she was making progress toward a goal that only she could comprehend. About once every couple of months, LZ would persuade Duane to walk with her to the studio so she could show him her latest work. 
LZ only wanted to and desperately needed a few words of encouragement from Duane to keep her motivated. And still, those words seldom came from him. And on this particular day, he was in an extremely disagreeable mood. LZ knew Duane's moods, but that didn't stop her from coercing him to visit the studio. It was a big mistake. At work, Duane had been passed over once again for a raise, and when he arrived at home, he was seething from the implied insult. Duane didn't share his day's details, but Elsie was sure something was wrong by the bulging blood vessels in Duane's neck and temples. Nevertheless, she nagged him until he relented. Maybe the walk to the studio would do him good. Duane would never intentionally hurt Elsie's feelings, but he let loose on this visit. Hmm, your goddamn work is all the same. No wonder you can't sell anything. Every single painting is the same size and has similar colors. Try something different, for goddamn sake. He knew the minute he said it that a line had been crossed that could never be repaired. But that didn't stop him from continuing his tirade. This studio cost me a fortune, and your art supplies are... The Moment of Truth Word was getting out in the advertising industry that Crocker and Stackhouse had landed a plum account. Their friends congratulated Steve and Nancy, but competitors began to resemble jackals and hyenas. How would this upstart communications shop landed a Fortune 100 account? Ridiculous. Many of the bigger ad agencies' salespeople knew Roger Wallace personally and had taken him out to dinners or entertained him at sporting events. Roger even knew some of their spouses and children. Their calls to Roger inquired if he knew how small Crocker and Stackhouse actually was, and it was Roger who alerted Steve and Nancy to the subject of these calls. It was his subtle way of keeping pressure on CNS to do a fantastic job with the campaign. It was also a not-so-subtle way of letting Nancy and Steve know that the slightest fumble would cause them to lose the account to another, more capable advertising agency. And none of this helped with their current dilemma. The advertising campaign had a firm starting date, which was still three months away. There was no changing the launch date, even though Steve wished that he had doubled the time to prepare the campaign. Nancy had negotiated the media placements, and the bell-ringing celebration at the stock exchange had been negotiated as well. All the press releases that would normally be flowing constantly out of a Fortune 100 company had been silenced for three months just for the purpose of scientifically studying the effects of the campaign on the stock performance. Essentially, the entire company had gone into a quiet period before this campaign was to be launched. The only problem was they didn't have a final campaign. Well, they had the original concepts that everyone agreed would be the focus of the advertising. What they didn't have, however, was a cohesive creative concept that would tie all the different elements of the campaign together. Steve had called in favors from all his designer friends to help with the campaign, which was developing technically, but was creatively flat. It just didn't seem to be resonating the way it should. Steve and Nancy had a firm deadline 
an anxious client, and competitors ready to jump on the account. CNS had an opportunity of a lifetime in their hands, but felt extremely vulnerable to the possibility of losing it. Were they about to blow their biggest opportunity based on a lack of creativity? Nancy arrived home on the usual train. Steve was still at the office, and would probably remain for several more hours. At the Hartsdale train station, Nancy ran into LZ, heading to her studio for the evening. Baby greeted Nancy by saying, Who's your baby? LZ gave a rare smile and said that Baby must like Nancy, because he didn't usually say that phrase except to her. Nancy asked where she was heading, and when LZ said that her art studio beckoned, Nancy replied, I didn't know you were an artist. LZ responded, oh, Well, not a successful one, but not a starving artist either. Nancy was intrigued about LZ being an artist and asked if she could peek at her work. Nancy was stunned by LZ's paintings. These colorful chevrons came in every shape and color. Nancy had never seen anything like this, and LZ had made hundreds of living in a glass house. Hello, listeners. So, I recently was introduced to this drink called Magic Mind. It's a supplement that boosts your energy, helps you focus, and basically turns you into a productivity machine. Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, I'm interested in flow states and productivity, and especially a calm mind and who isn't. So, I figured I'd give it a shot. Especially since they're soon to be available at Sprouts, I can just grab a couple of bottles without committing to a whole subscription. I started taking it for a few days straight, just like the instructions said. Honestly, I wasn't sure what to expect. I mean, how much can a matcha-flavored drink do? But you know what? I was surprised. I did feel more focused and energized throughout those days. It wasn't this crazy, jittery energy like you might get from coffee but more of a calm alertness. I felt like I was bordering on that flow state in various activities, from computer work to narration, and even in my disc golf round. And I swear, I even felt a little less stressed, which is a feat in itself. This was not a scientific study, but my Garmin watch showed a five-point decrease in average stress levels per day in the last week compared to the previous month. The Magic Mind team created a super offer for me to share with you guys. You get up to 56% off your first subscription in the next 10 days and 20% off your one-time purchase with Voice Over 20. That's Voice Over 20. You can get it at https colon slash slash www.magicmind.com slash voiceover and redeem the discount code VOICEOVER20. But hurry up, the 56% discount only lasts 10 days from the airing date of this episode. Look, I'm not saying Magic Mind is some miracle cure. It's not going to turn you into Elon Musk overnight. But for me, it was a decent little addition to my routine. It's definitely helped me stay on track with my work. And the fact that you can just grab it at Sprouts beginning in January makes it even more convenient. No more waiting for subscriptions or deliveries. So, 
If you're looking for something to give you a bit of a boost, I'd say Magic Mind is worth a try. Just remember, consistency is key. Give it a few days and see how it works for you. No promises you'll turn into a productivity powerhouse, but hey, it might just help you get through your to-do list without wanting to pull your hair out. If you have a Sprouts store nearby beginning in January, you can find it in the Sprouts farmers markets across the country. Or you can check it out at www.magicmind.com voiceover and get a subscription with up to 50% off with my code voiceover20. Steve and Nancy decided to throw an open house party at their new home for all their clients, family, and friends. A musical combo provided entertainment, a new hip restaurant supplied the flavorsome cuisine, and parking attendants helped the guests find parking spots along the quarter-mile driveway. The house itself was beautiful in the glow of the sunset. From the outside, the place looked like a blooming orchid. The light of the early evening sun reflected off the glass and made the whole house shimmer with an orange-pink hue. As day changed to evening, floodlights at the house were focused outward on the trees that surrounded this unique house. The house and the party made an outstanding impression on the guests. Now that they lived in New Canaan, in their fashionable home, it was clear to their business associates that Steve and Nancy were no longer the up-and-coming young kids who had worked so well for them in the early years of their business. Instead, they appeared to be a successful cog in the gears of capitalism. For Steve, this is what he'd been striving to achieve all these years. But Nancy sensed something more foreboding in the subtle comments from clients and friends. Benny, their first client, who started working with the CNS before they even had their first office, said, I had no idea how successful you two have become. You're doing even better than I thought was possible. I'll have to check your pricing when I get to the office on Monday. It was meant to be funny, but Nancy wasn't laughing. Another major client said, Part of the appeal of CNS was that you were the struggling underdogs. Do you think this new lifestyle could change your corporate brand? Again, it was meant to be a light-hearted comment. Unfortunately, the truth came through to both Steve and Nancy, who knowingly glanced at each other for a split second. One of the invited couples was an anticipated new client for CNS. Linda Baxter was the chief marketing officer of Cozy Funk Inc., a global engineering firm looking to build its brand in the U.S. Due to the recent death of the founder, Otto Funk, the firm was now run by his daughter, Carol M. Funk. Carol was replacing, whenever possible, top managers with women, a 1980s harbinger of the coming feminist revolution in corporate America. The first thing Linda Baxter did in her newly mentioned role as chief marketing officer was to send out a request for proposal, RFP, to every advertising agency in Manhattan. Agencies hated this kind of general solicitation, derisively known as cattle calls. Steve and Nancy philosophically avoided these broad shotgun solicitations as an advertising agency with unique capabilities and specialties. Unfortunately, Linda Baxter 
didn't do her homework to determine the best advertising agency that would fit her company's needs, and then send the request to a select few. In this case, Nancy responded to the RFP with a polite turn down and slight admonishment, suggesting that Linda was asking all the wrong questions. And, if Cozy Funk Inc. required such a broad-based request, it would never know which agency was a perfect match. Consequently, CNS would pass on this request. Much to her surprise, Nancy received a response from Linda Baxter requesting that she reconsider working with Cozy Funk. The Morning After The following morning had Nancy up early to flip the switch on the large coffee maker already prepared for this morning's use. Elsie was also up early and was drinking a mug of coffee on the outside balcony of the living room. The great part of living in a glass house is that people often forget that the walls were as transparent as LZ's nightgown. Goodness, the woman had a nice body, Steve thought, as he gazed out of the window. So... And that wraps up today's episode from author James R. Gregory and his book, Small Fortunes. We're glad you joined us today and hope you'll join us again next week as we preview a new work from VoiceOver Work, an audiobook sampler. Where do you listen? <laughs>